you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to start today. This message here in this fearless series, this is number two, and it's, and it's called When God Says Jump. And so I'm excited to walk through this. We're going to look at three different passages today. And in these three passages, we're going to see some responses to when God speaks, how do they respond? And so at this point, we're going to start in Mark 10, starting in verse 17. We're going to look at this story of a rich man that comes to Jesus. And so because we believe this is God's word and that he speaks to us through his word, I want to take a moment now and pray again, just asking for the Lord to bless this time that we are in his word. So will you pray with me once again? Father, we thank you so much for your word, how you speak to us, you instruct us, you guide us in life. And Lord, help us to respond to your word. Lord, we thank you for it. We ask for your grace over this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, we're going to look at the first response. When God speaks, we'll look at one of the first responses here, starting in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Well, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him and says, There's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And we're going to hang on that verse here because this is the man's response to Jesus speaking into his life. Lord, what must I do to be saved? And I get this response from Jesus, and he lists all these commands, and the man goes, I've been doing that. But he was missing something going on in his heart, something going on in his life that was real and genuine. And Jesus tells him, look, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus saw this idol in this man's life. And this word idol, I-D-O-L, idol, you hear about that in the scriptures. And I used to do this in youth ministry just to help us get a picture of what an idol does in our life. But I would take one hand and put it over my heart and take another. And I said, an idol is anything that would replace God in your heart and life. So things that we put before God, things that we treasure more than his kingdom. These are idols. And Jesus addresses the idol and he says, if you get rid of all that stuff, then come follow me. And the man's response is he walks away sad. 
And so one of the first responses to God's Word is people can reject God's Word due to idols that exist in their life. And within the context of this fearless series, sometimes there's fear in letting go of some of these idols. Perhaps there's a trust that has to take place that if I truly allow God to take this over, I can trust that he's going to to work in the midst of this situation. This was a rich man. And so he probably had a sense of security with his wealth and possessions. And Jesus is saying, take your sense of security and replace that with me. And the man walked away sad. There was a fear in letting go of some of these things in his life. And when God's word comes to us, sometimes we can reject God's word because we're scared about what it would look like if we truly applied this into our life. So the first response is rejection due to idols. Now, if you could, please turn with me to Judges chapter 6. The book of Judges records for us this cycle that happens where Israel falls into sin, and then they suffer because of that, and then they ask for help, and God brings forward someone to lead them and restore them. And then the cycle just continues to repeat itself. And in this book of Judges, you're going to see several times where it says the people started to do right in their own eyes, and they begin to start walking in disobedience and sin. And in Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we get an account of this judge or this man named uh, Gideon that's going to lead them. But watch what happens as we get to his account. Verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, martyrs from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle and donkeys, and these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to God for help. So back to that cycle, they're sinning, they're suffering, to the point where they're, they're letting it go, and they're like, Lord, we need your help. So they're crying out for God, and now God's going to provide someone to lead them. So verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites, and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, and I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land, and I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you've not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Aphra, 
which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. In verse 15, But Lord... How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Now, we're going to stop there with this passage. If you know the rest of that story, there's a point, too, where he starts to ask the Lord to lay out this fleece, if you will. If it's wet in the morning and the ground is dry, Lord, I know you're calling me. And then the next day he asks again, but Lord, this time make this fleece dry and the ground wet. Then I'll know you're calling me. But his initial response to the word here, when God says, I'm sending you, go. And I want you to lead this fight against the Midianites. His response is, I'm not qualified for this. If anything, I'm a nobody in a long line of nobodies here. Hey, I'm from this tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the the least in this tribe. And so he begins to push it away. And he has reservations due to inadequacy. So when God's Word comes into our life, sometimes we'll push it away because we think, God, this is way too big of a task. I'm not equipped for this. I'm not able to do this. What's interesting with this passage is God says in verse 13, excuse me, 14, He says, go with the strength you have. Go with what you have. And then he also says, I am sending you. There's a command there to go. The Lord has commissioned him. And you think of times in your life where God's word comes to you and you know God is asking you to do something that seems like an awfully big task is to recognize that God is the one who equips. God is the one who calls. God is the one who helps you when you feel like you're inadequate. Of course, this is how Satan tries to work. You hear the word of the Lord, and then you want to apply it into your life. You know, perhaps I'm going to get uh, help in this area of my life, this struggle that I'm working through. Or perhaps there's this area in the kingdom I feel God is calling me to, right? And so here's what the enemy does. He comes in and he goes, you can't do that. You're not good enough for that. You're not qualified to that. You, you don't have the ability to work through this. And the enemy tries to speak over our life and create this sense of inadequacy, like we cannot truly respond to God's Word because we're simply not good enough. And I want to tell you something right now. If you try to live this life in your own strength, you are not good enough. But when God's power comes into the equation... 
Now, he spoke to Gideon and said, I want you to do this. God is going to equip when he calls you to do something. He will equip you. He's faithful to see you through. That's response number two, is we can actually have reservations to God's word because of our feeling of inadequacy. Turn with me now to Matthew 14. This is the third and final response I want to highlight today. And this is a passage that I know a lot of us have probably heard before, but we're going to go to verse 22 of Matthew 14. This is where after Jesus feeds thousands, he sends the disciples on their way on a boat, and he goes off to pray on his own. And then in the midst of everything that's going on, later in that evening, if you will, early morning, they see Jesus now out walking on the water. Pretty miraculous. Amazing. And then you'll know what happens next with Peter as we read this, and perhaps you've heard this story before. But starting in verse 22, immediately after this, this being Jesus feeding thousands, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Now, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Then in verse 29, excuse me, 28, the Bible says that Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. And then verse 29, yes, come. Jesus speaks to Peter, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. I'm going to stop there. If you know the rest of the story, he sees the storm, he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink, and Jesus pulls him up out of the water. Okay, And we can give Peter a bad rap, like, come on, man, where's your faith? But keep in mind the other guys that were in the boat. Okay, Let's acknowledge Peter's faith for a moment. How many of you have ever walked on a body of water? Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I've skied, let's see. Yeah, right, yeah, we've got all these interpretations. I thought as a kid I walked on water when one time we got a lot of rain up where we would used to go fishing as a family, and it was so high that the dock and the water level, the water was over the dock, and I thought, you know, as a kid I'm walking on water, and I think I've maybe shared that with you guys before, but I think I ended up also slipping and falling, and I quickly learned that you, you can't. So, um, but by the power of Christ, you can, um, and Peter did that in this situation. I want to look at his response. His response toward this was a receptiveness. He's like, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, yes, come. And then as he receives that, he steps over the boat and onto the water. Now, I've been 
I've been on water before that's real deep. I mean, do you think about the, the exchange there? I'm about, at some point, I'm going to put my weight on the water and not necessarily in the boat. There's a step of faith that must take place when we respond to God's Word. But there's a receptiveness due to the intimacy that Peter had with Jesus. And that intimacy, that word, it's a close familiarity. It's, it's this friendship. It's this closeness that he has with his, his Lord. And that, that relationship causes him to trust Jesus and the supernatural things that he can do by the power of his word. If that's you, tell me to come to you. Come, and he steps out on the water. What I do like about this account is, is there's times where we can respond with receptiveness to God's Word. And we step out in faith. And then how many of you know that once you've stepped out and things are going well at the beginning, then all of a sudden, about halfway through or whatever, a few weeks later, it's not going so well. And then we begin to question, did God really call me out here? You know, am I actually supposed to be here right now? And we look around at the circumstances that we're in, and we begin to sink, and that's where Jesus pulls them out and says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? We must go back to that moment where Jesus told them, yes, come. And when God speaks to you, if your response is that receptiveness, because you know him, you know his character, you know how he's worked in your life in the past, there's an intimacy that's involved when you step out in faith when God calls you to do something. One question I thought of while putting this together is, well, what if I hear wrong? I mean, that's a fair question. How many of you ever felt like you heard wrong? Okay, that's, I got my hand up, just me. All right, I'll try to listen to this message today. Hopefully I can get something out of it. But there's times where I'm like, did I hear that wrong? And there's times where I felt like I have. But I want you to think about this from the perspective of a parent. If I asked Judah to do something... And he went in good faith and tried to do something that was helpful, but it was just not exactly what I told him. And he comes back to me. Let's say I asked him to clean his room, but instead he cleaned a different room in the house. And when he comes back to me, do you think I'm going to be upset? I mean, it, to a certain degree, it depends on his motives, right? If he's just like, well, I don't even want to touch my room, and the living room's already clean, so that was the easiest, you know, then I might be upset. But if there's an honest effort of saying, God, I feel like I've heard you, and even if I get this wrong, I'm going to just do this for your kingdom, and I'm going to trust that if this isn't where you want me to be, you'll help me in this. So you still step out in faith, even if it maybe doesn't all quite make sense, or you're wondering, am I hearing right? If you trust that God will still work these things out, God, by his grace, will help align those things. So that question is, well, what if I'm not really hearing him? Okay, the other thing is, yes, you can step into that and God's grace will meet you there, but there is wisdom in asking for godly counsel. You know, asking those that are close to you and close to the Lord, I need to add that in there, because sometimes we'll gather people around us just to, if you will, uh, tell us what we want to hear. 
But if we gather around godly counsel and say, what do you think about this? Do you think this is something that God is, is calling me to? And you can walk through that with them. But you can also listen to the Lord confirm those things through his word. Now, a number of years ago, when I was called to be a pastor here at Faith, God was giving me things over and over again in his word. I came down to speak for a youth night. You guys were without a pastor for the youth ministry. And I get done, and Pastor Niles says, I think you're the guy that's supposed to come lead our youth ministry. And at that time, I was living in Minnesota. I had just established myself in a position where I finished my internship. I took over the department. I've been there for a few months. And now I feel like I'm going, what? I'm going to move now? That doesn't make sense. Didn't quite add up in my mind. And Pastor Niles is like, well, I'm not going to say that I like audibly heard from God, but I think I heard from God. So why don't you pray about it for a few days? And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, flip my life upside down in a few days. And, you know, that's easy for you to say. But on day three, the Lord gave me something very specific in the scriptures. I grew up in this area. I'm living in Minnesota. And the scripture I turn to says, return home and tell all of what God has done for you. To me, that was my, Lord, do you want me to come to you? Come. That was my moment with that. And I continued to wrestle with it. And the next day, there was more that was happening. Someone that doesn't really even know me asking my mother if I'm feeling led to go into pastoral ministries. And if so, to consider maybe giving that church my resume And so now there's two churches considering me as a candidate, and I'm not even pursuing pastoral ministry, so to speak, with a degree or like my previous experience. I'm just like, Lord, what are you doing? Right? But in the midst of that, I'm walking through this, and another scripture that comes to me from my mother-in-law that next morning was, the human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I think I've got all this figured out, but I know you're the one who's leading me, and I need to trust. And so I'm willing to have these conversations. And so I pull a coworker in, and I I talk to him. I'm like, I don't understand. I just started this position. Why would God have me come back home? And then they're like, well, Russ, I don't know where this verse is found, but there's one in Scripture that says the human mind plans the way, but the Lord directs the steps. And I'm like, let me tell you where that's found, because I just got that message this morning. And things like this were happening for me, and God was speaking through his word. And what are you going to do with that, Russell? And I come back home, and I'm talking to my father-in-law, and I'm going, I don't understand what's happening. And it's like, well, how much clearer do you need? I mean, you need a two-by-four here? And I said, well, for me, as I've had these experiences, but Brady hasn't had these experiences yet. And so, you know, one thing that Brian said to me is, how many times do you have to lay out the fleece? And I told you about that story with Gideon when he lays that out. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you can do anything. I trust you've created everything that I see as far as creation is concerned. You can do the supernatural. If you want me to move back to Iowa, I trust that my fleece here is you can give these experiences to Brady. Well, she moves up to Minnesota to start teaching. And I'm at a service, and the pastor's preaching about Gideon. And he goes, there's someone in the room who's being called to go do something, and you need to do it. And in that service, I'm at the back. I was helping run sound, and I'm, like, bawling and, you know, trying to keep it together. 
And in the midst of that, I'm thinking, okay, Brady's coming to the next service, and I wonder how she's going to respond to that. And when she came, the first thing I could have said to her when she rolled into the church is, honey, wait till you hear this message. But my prayer was, Lord, you can do anything. It's your job to bring her to this place. And that during that message, she grabs my arm like, I'm hearing this. And I knew there was something that God was doing. And as we continued to process this, there was a component of fear that we were wrestling with. It was a very real thing. You hear about what pastoral ministries could look like. You, you feel the pressure and the weight of a call like that. And in the midst of that, we had some fear. And it led to a point where it's like, how are we going to reconcile this? And Pastor Niles wanted me to meet with the elders. And we're like, well, what do we do? Do we do this? Do we not do this? And it got to a point where then I heard from the Lord again from his word. And as I turned to a certain spot in Scripture, the word told me this. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? <laughs> and the next line, the next word that I saw that was in red as I was reading through was this word with an exclamation point, go. And so I go to this meeting, and I feel like the Lord has brought me to this table. He's called me out onto this water for a reason. And in the midst of that, I'm trusting that the Lord's going to work this thing out. And during this conversation, one of the questions was, how soon could you start? And I'm thinking, well, the responsibilities I had up there, I can't just walk away from that like in two weeks. We've got to find somebody to replace me in order to be able to do this well. And Pastor Niles says, I'm confident that if you're called here, God's calling somebody there. Well, in the midst of all of that, a couple weeks later, they end up hiring somebody who's from Florida going to move up to Minnesota. Now, normally that's kind of backwards. Normally they, they go the other way around. But I tell you, that one thing in this particular story is he was leaving Florida where he was making a lot more money to step into ministry where his finances would be drastically reduced. That's the piece in there that sticks out to me out of all of it. Normally people move into something where it seems like it's a if you will, a step into more pay or those kinds of things, some kind of uh, a raise, you know, promotion. For him, in the kingdom sense, it was a promotion. But in an earthly sense, it didn't make any sense. Why would you go and make less money? It's because God was calling him, and that sealed it for me, to know that God was calling me out. And, you know, you guys know that I came here and we did youth ministry for a run, administrative pastor, and here we are today, and it's like, Lord, you had this whole thing totally figured out. He knew what he was doing. And so I want to call you to understand that when God speaks into your life, receive it and trust that he's going to work things out. Has the road been perfect for me the last eight years? No. No. But has God been good and has he just blessed me with his grace? Absolutely. And the same thing is true for your life. And I want to highlight three verses from these three passages we looked at today. Mark 10, 27, Judges 6, 16, and Matthew 14, 27. In Mark 10, Jesus looked at his disciples intently and he said to them, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. 
And then in Judges 6.16, the Lord says to Gideon, I will be with you. And then in Matthew 14.27, when Jesus told them, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. And that I am here is actually, I am is here. I am is here. The great I am is here. And so when I see these verses, it's a reminder that as we walk through life, everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. The other thing to note is that God's presence will be with you. You do not need to fear. You can take courage. The great I am is here. And so as we close this message, I just want to encourage you to consider things in your own life. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Is there something that God is leading you toward? Is there something that God would have you do? Is there an area of your life that you need to let go? Is there an area of fear that you need to surrender unto the Lord? Then I just want to invite you to consider what it would look like to give that to Him and to truly respond to Him with a responsiveness. Before we pray, I do want to recognize that this responsiveness Peter had was because of the intimacy he had with his Lord. To understand that God has wired us and designed us for a relationship with Him. That's, God's created you for that. Because out of that relationship, you then glorify Him in the kingdom. And so here's the sad thing, though, is there's people that are walking all through life and they don't have a relationship with God. They're trying to do all this stuff on their own. But perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and saying, it's time to enter into this relationship that God has designed you for. And so I want to lead anybody that maybe wants to take that step of faith today, I want to lead you in prayer as we close as well. So will you bow your heads with me right now as we pray? Father, I thank you so much for your word, how you speak into our hearts, how you speak into our lives. Lord, help us not to reject your word because we've got idols in our life. Help us to let go of those idols that we would not put these things above you, above your word, but we would truly recognize our need to respond. And Lord, also help us to understand that when you call us to do something, even though we might feel inadequate, Lord, you equip us to the things that you call us to. Help us to understand, Lord, the things that you give when it comes to working in your kingdom. Help us to block out the voice of the enemy when he tries to diminish us and minimize us and scrutinize us and and shrink us down to the point where we feel like, what's the point? Lord, I pray that you'd equip us. Lord, help us to have that heart that's truly in a posture of responsiveness, a readiness because of an intimate relationship with you, to be close to you,
and to have that loving relationship that you've designed us to have. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that desires that relationship with God. You can have that closeness. But in order to get that closeness that's described here, we have to do something with the issue of sin in our life. And recognizing that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. God, you sent your son to pay the penalty and the price for that sin so that we could have new life and be set free and we could receive salvation. But we have to, by grace, through faith, put our trust in Jesus. And if there's anyone right now that's listening that would desire to have this relationship, I want to lead you in this prayer of salvation. Just simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I ask that you would help me to to become a new person, as your scriptures say, a new creation. And I ask for the forgiveness of my sin and that you'd cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I want to thank you today for this gift of salvation and for being my Lord and my Savior. Help me now to live for you, to live for your kingdom, and the purpose that you have for my life. Help me now to grow in my relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.